Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. From economic turmoil and U-turns in the UK and the latest on the Russia-Ukraine front to Taiwan's deepening relationship with Lithuania and China's reaction to it, the BBC's Pete Ross joins us now to discuss the global headlines that you should be paying attention to this week. Hi, Pete. Hi, good evening. Thanks for joining us, Pete. So news in today that the government in the UK has dropped a plan to cut taxes for the highest earners. And this is just 10 days after announcing it. What's next, Pete? Yeah, absolutely, Marty. If we were speaking just a couple of hours before or a couple of hours earlier, I would have a very different answer to mm. to the question of what kind of week can Liz Trust expect following a very turbulent sort of seven to ten days that she's just gone through. But as you've just said, uh, less than 24 hours uh, after Prime Minister Liz Truss insisted she was sticking with her plan to axe the 45p tax rate for highest earners, the policy has now been scrapped. The business finance minister, Quasi Quarting, he made the announcement earlier this morning. He previously announced the measure was part of a so-called mini-budget a week past Friday, so 10 days ago. That package of tax, cut, tax cuts was to be funded by extra borrowing, and that triggered days of turmoil on the financial markets, as I'm sure your listeners will be very well aware of. It also saw the pound mm. uh, drop to a record low against the dollar, and um, mortgage... Uh, uh, payments, repayments. Uh, homeowners here in the UK very worried in the last few days as interest rates and the threat of interest rates going even higher threatened to push mortgage repayments sky high. So despite all that, despite all the criticism, despite 10 days of pressure, the government now says has made that decision this morning and uh, says that, uh, well, Mr Quarting, when he made the announcement, he said, look, the plan had become a distraction and he changed his mind after listening to the people. But listening to the reaction that I've heard to that announcement so far in the last couple of hours, I think it's fair to say this is a humiliating U-turn for the government. Now, we've had several conversations over the last few months, Barty, um, and, I, and, and I'm sure that we have talked about British government U-turns before. Mm. But make no mistake, this really is a huge turnaround for the government. As I've said, it made that announcement 10 days ago. It's received all sorts of criticisms in the last sort of 10 days but it's only now that it's changing its mind. It says it's listening, it's, it's listened to people up and down the country. However, one other thing to say about this just quickly from me, and often talk about the front pages of the newspapers when we have these weekly chats. Yeah. I'm not doing that today, because if I was mm -hmm. to do that today, I would be wrong, because they're out of date. And I think that tells us two things. One, that this decision was made very recently in the last few hours. And then number two, if we look at the British, the front pages of the British newspaper, the front page headlines, the main story as it was a few hours ago was comments made by Michael Gove, Conservative Minister and, and sort of party grandee, if you like, mm. Michael Gove, who said in a series of interviews yesterday that the government faced a real chance or a real threat of its own MPs voting against this proposal. So
so, you have to ask yourself, was this decision made by the government in the last few hours, was it a political one or was it an economic one? I mm. guess we'll just have to wait and find out. It does seem to be leaning towards it being a political one, doesn't it? Well, I think, again, as I said, you look at those newspaper headlines, Mr. Gove coming out and making some very strange, uh, sorry, very strong comments yesterday about the fact that there are a number of disgruntled or very unhappy Conservative MPs. And then you weigh that up with the fact that, again, the British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, was on the television yesterday. She spoke to former political editor Laura Koonsberg on her flagship Sunday morning political show. And she said, you know, she would not be turning to sort of steal a phrase from, from you know... Margaret, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the lady was not for turning yesterday, yet just a few hours later. And again, also another thing to say, it's party conference season here in the UK, that time of year when political parties set out their stall for the next year so that voters know, you know, what, 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 what direction those parties are heading in. Last week it was Labour. This week the Conservatives have gathered in Birmingham. And British journalists um, ha- had seen the text copy of the uh, speech that Kwasi Kwarteng, the businessman, the finance minister, was due to make. And it has in there the line, we must stay the course. I'm confident our plan is the right one. So that was the speech he was going to make. He'd be making it about now-ish. And instead, he's gone on television and radio this morning to say that actually, having listened to the people, they've decided to change their mind. Here's the thing. Uh, Kwasi Kwarteng will set out his funding plans on November 23rd in a full fiscal statement. Any ideas what we can expect from that statement and whether that statement will actually make a difference on the ground? Well, no, and I think that's kind of the point. It's the fact that we don't know any of the details. It's, it, a chancellor would normally stand, and again, there's a couple of things to say here. One, it's a, inverted commas, a mini budget. So, so some, some protocol and, and some, and, uh, you know, would be slightly different. Procedure would be slightly different from a proper full-blown budget. But it is still um, quite extraordinary that um, a chancellor would, would produce some form of budget, some change to the, fi- the cu- a country's finance, and then not show his working, not show his paperwork. So the fact that the, that we're not going to find out for another six weeks how he plans to pay for all the things he intends to do, that is quite remarkable. Uh, that's, that's, that's unusual. So I, I guess you could say that's one of the reasons, though the Chancellor would, of course, point to international, uh, the international um, temperature of the markets at the moment and you know, pressure from the Fed in, in the US. Of course, that's all going on. But he made some specific comments about you know, things that he wanted to do with the British economy. And we saw the consequences not only in the value of the pound, but in the markets as well. So I think that says it all. Now, Liz Truss, of course, hoping for a break, I'm sure, when she travels to Prague later this week for the inaugural summit of the European political community. What can we expect from this particular initiative? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is something that was proposed by French President Emmanuel Macron back in May. Uh, what, he, what the French president envisages is a club of European democracies, not just involving the 27 EU member states, working together on things like security, energy, of course, vital at the moment, transport, infrastructure, those sorts of things. Now, the UK isn't the only EU member country to be invited. 17 other countries 
within a broader umbrella of Europe have been invited, including Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, some Balkan states as well. Now, it would be expected, you would think, the British Prime Minister, who's quite sceptical, we've heard, about this new initiative. Of course, following Brexit and the UK's decision to leave the European Union, you think she might get a bit of a frosty reception. Um, however, given all the turmoil that's going on here in the UK, it might be you know, less scrutiny for, for the Prime Minister over there this week. One other thing to say, and this will actually help her have perhaps a warmer reception than she might have expected, Steve Baker, who's a prominent uh, Conservative Brexit MP, um, he came out over the weekend last night to apologise for some of the UK's behaviour in negotiations with the EU following uh, following Brexit. So um, that's come as a surprise to quite a few people. He's normally quite ardent and strong, strident in his in his position on Brexit. Um, so to, to hear that sort of language coming out of the Conservative, coming out of the UK government, that can only be well received in Europe. And, and it should mean that, yeah, Liz Truss will be, uh, you know, more warmly welcomed uh, this week than we may have expected. Mm, but uh, in terms of medium to long term, what exactly can we expect in terms of responses from the UK and the international community? Well, I mean, this is a brand new initiative, so we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, it does sound very interesting. I mean, I guess um, Macron, you could say, has given once the UK following the UK's departure from the EU, which was certainly, you could say, the UK was a was a leading country in, in, in the bloc. I think President Macron has tried to step into that vacuum left, but missed by Britain and sort of trying to become the prominent European leader pushing forward the EU. So I think that's one of the more interesting things, is, is more to see how this goes down and what that does for France's uh, stature and reputation amongst the EU. But again, um, of course, there, there are many problems that you unite uh, countries around Europe and globally at the moment, you know, the cost of energy, the, 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 the rise in the cost of living, those sorts of issues. So it'll be interesting to see just sort of um, how together all of those nations seem, um, given everything else that's going on in the world at the moment, and particularly with that war in Ukraine, that Russian invasion right on Europe's border as well. Let's talk about Ukraine, Pete. Now, last week saw Russia's President Vladimir Putin announce the formal annexation of four regions of Ukraine. And all of this came amid the continued flight of young Russian men who clearly don't want to join Mr. Putin's draft and the fight and the invasion. So Ukraine has meanwhile formally submitted its application to join NATO. It sounds like a lot of developments in the space of a week. What's in store this week, though? Yes, again, it's a little bit like our first story that I thought I was going to ha- mm. say one thing to you. And then, and then <laughs> you know, the news is moving very fast these days and on this Story as well, as you mentioned, there, President Putin made Russia's President Putin made a very big speech in Moscow on Friday. You might have seen it on the television, um, outside, and you know, big crowd, flags waving, uh, strident speeches given by supporters of Mr. Putin. But, but basically, he announced the main thing he announced there, apart from this huge sort of anti-West rhetoric, which was aimed particularly towards the U.S., I guess, um, is that he announced that uh, Russia had annexed Donetsk. Kherson, Zaporizhia and Luhansk, proclaiming that quartet to be part of Russia forever. Well, since then, we've now learned that um, that, that Russia has lost 
um, Lehman, uh, which is seen as a significant setback for Russia's campaign in the east. It's a strategic town, and Ukrainian troops uh, are said to have retaken that or, or retook that over the weekend. Now, I don't need to really say this, but that it can only be deeply embarrassing for President Putin, given that on Friday he said these four territories are now part of Russia, and he's already beginning to lose ground there. Coming in this morning, again, that seems that, that, that there are unsubstantiated reports, particularly on social media, that the Russian front line is coming under you know, huge amounts of pressure and that Ukraine is continuing to make military gains. Um, I guess now, the, well, not I guess, the thing that we need to look for now is how is Putin going to react to this? Again, to go back to that speech on Friday for just a moment, one thing that President Putin didn't explicitly mention in that speech Russia's nuclear weapons. However, given that he has gone through what many would say has been another embarrassing few days, if Ukraine keeps continuing to make those gains, again, particularly in those territories, which Russia now says is part of Russia, well, then we just have to wait to see what Putin's reaction is. But one thing, while he didn't mention nuclear weapons on Friday, he did use a phrase he's used before, that Russia would use all the means at our disposal to defend its territories, including those annexed territories. So a, a very important couple of days, I would say, uh, in the conflict. As we watch developments on that front, Pete, there are other developments closer to Asia that we should be watching. Tensions in the South China Sea, specifically Taiwan, which has also been very much in the news in recent weeks. And we expect to see it in the headlines this week again because of its deepening relationship with Lithuania. Yeah, that's right. I don't need to tell you or your listeners about tensions in the South China Sea, I think. Um, though, of course, they've ramped up a little bit, uh, particularly China's hostility to, uh, to Taiwan in recent months. Um, you, could, you could go back to Nancy Pelosi's, uh, this U.S. Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's very controversial trip there. Um, that upset China earlier this year. There's also been some very robust comments made by U.S. President Biden. But before all that, as you mentioned, a gesture by a small Baltic nation seems to have angered Beijing just as much. Um, so in July of 2021, last year, um, Lithuania announced that it was opening a Taiwanese representative office. Um, now, I guess that's a sort of, I mean, it's in all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a form of embassy, isn't it, without it being an official embassy. Um, but the reason that this is, this is, you know, I think... Lithuania is a very small country. It's 2.7 million people. And, and normally a statement like that would seem pretty unremarkable. However, China saw that as a declaration of diplomatic hostility. And when you think that Lithuania is a member of the European Union, you know, that's putting pressure on the block, not just Lithuania. So this week, um, we're going to see uh, the foreign minister um, from, excuse me, Taiwan's digital minister, Audrey Tang. She's going to be visiting Lithuania, and it's just bringing that whole thing up again. Um, as I said, Lithuania, a very small nation, but it's now emerged as one of Taiwan's mostly, most unlikely yet outspoken allies in Europe. It seems to be that they're kind of holding their ground at the moment, particularly with this invitation. But as you know, China claims Taiwan is part of its own and any sort of encroachment on that sees a robust response from China. It's putting Lithuania under economic pressure at the moment, though um, Lithuania exports a very small amount 
um, to, to, to China. So it's managed to stay its course for now. However, it could start to come under internal pressure from the rest of the EU if it continues along this path. So we'll watch it closely. Mm. Thanks very much for that, Pete. Appreciate it. Pete Ross, producer, presenter at the BBC. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.